they can go ahead and uh, head to their classes. If you're with us, I'm going to encourage you, like we did last week, to take a paper Bible. Um, this is a, a paper Bible. If you don't have one, one has been provided for you in the, the row in front of you, and you can just grab it there and open to <clears throat> about the middle to Psalm 92. To Psalm 92. We started this last week, and we're going to finish it. Um, at least that's my goal this week. Uh, it was my goal to finish it last week too, but we didn't. But I do really feel like we're going to finish it. Um, we've been in a series, if you've not been with us, called Built to Last. And what we've been talking about is having lives that are built to last. Not uh, lives that look good at the beginning, but then as the Bible says, don't endure or finish. Don't stand strong. And we've been looking at different things that we can do to make sure that we have those types of lives. And uh, last week, we started a discussion that came out of Psalm 92. And uh, I just feel like there's such a picture in here of what it, it is to be planted in the house of God. And I'm going to just caution you from the outset that you can take some of my words today and you can maybe twist them a little bit to make them mean something that I'm not trying to say. And so I would caution you and or encourage you and challenge you to listen carefully to the things that I'm, I'm trying to share with you today. I don't, my goal of today is not to bind anyone with chains or put anybody in some type of legalistic cage, but um, my goal is to have you be set free. <clears throat> and I believe that there are times when we feel like we're free, but we're really in a cage. And there are times when we feel like we're in a cage, but we're really free. Does that make sense? So if you would stand with me, <clears throat> I know you just sat down, <clears throat> but I'm going to ask you to stand. I'm such a, that was such a terrible trick I played on you. But uh, we want to read Psalm 92 together from our paper Bibles. <clears throat> I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So if you grabbed one of our Bibles, you're in luck because that's what that is too. It said, it is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to the Most High. It is good to proclaim your unfailing love <clears throat> in the morning, your faithfulness in the evening. Unfailing love, faithfulness. Accompanied by a 10-stringed instrument, a harp, the melody of a lyre. Now, can I just stop and say for a second, it doesn't matter if it's morning or evening, um, you can praise God for his unfailing love and faithfulness anytime, any place, any way, any instrument, no instrument. This passage isn't saying if it's not done this way, it's not right. It's just saying, you know, here, you know, it's just good. It's poetic. Does that make sense? It's poetic. You thrill me, Lord, with all you have done for me. I sing for joy because of what you have done. Not I sing for joy because of where I am. I sing for joy because of what you haven't yet done. I've sing for joy because of what you have done. And if there's nothing but the cross, we could sing unending songs to thank him for what he's done. How great are the works you do. How deep are your thoughts. Only a simpleton would not know and only a fool would not understand this. Now listen up because none of us wants to be a fool. Though the wicked sprout like weeds and evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. See, sometimes when we're in those in-between seasons, we get nervous because it looks like other people who are doing bad things flourish and we are doing good things and it's not paying off. If you, would, if you follow that train of thought out and you take your own thoughts and words for it, you're a fool, the Bible says because those people will be destroyed forever. But you, O Lord, will be exalted forever. Your enemies will surely perish and all evildoers will be scattered. But you have made me, present tense, not you are making me, you, have, you will make me, you have made me as strong as a wild ox. I don't, 
I don't know if you catch that, but whether you feel strong today or not, he's made you strong because the same power that raised Christ from the dead is in you. And so no matter what you're going through, you're as strong as an ox. You may not feel it, but that's what he's made you in Christ. You've anointed me with the finest oil. You've put the Holy Spirit in me. My eyes have seen the downfall of my enemies. My ears have heard the defeat of my wicked opponents. Already and not yet. The godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon, for they are transplanted to the Lord's own house. They will flourish in the courts of our God. Even in old age, they will still produce fruit. They will remain vital and green. They will declare the Lord is just. He is my rock. There is no evil in him. And so, Father, help us today to make the truth of your word a part of our lives. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Last week, we started this conversation of what it is to be planted in the house of God, coming from this psalm, Psalm 92, uh, specifically verses 12 through 15. This is a psalm that reminds us of the faithfulness of God. God is faithful. He is love. That's truth. So if you're in a situation where you feel like God has abandoned you, that's not true. Now, it feels real. And your feelings may tell you God has abandoned you. But the truth is, he never abandons us. Never. Now, it's easier for us in a worship service to to believe God is with us than it is when we're out there and everybody's closing in on us and our own thoughts are discouraging us and condemning us and it's easy to think God has abandoned me. But the truth is, God is never abandoning us. And we have to walk by truth and not by what we feel. Does that make sense? So he contrasts the fate of the wicked and the fate of the righteous. Ultimately, it may look like the wicked are going to pay, are, are flourishing and they're going to pay off, but it's not true. The wicked will perish. Those who do not put their faith and confidence and trust in the Lord will not stand. They may stand for 80 or 90 or 100 years, but they will not stand. But we, in Christ, the righteous, are able to flourish like a palm tree We are able to grow strong like the cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. We're going to flourish in the courts of our God, still bearing fruit in our old age, still staying fresh and green because the Lord is upright. He's our rock. There's no wickedness in him. What this psalm is saying is I may be in the midst of a terrible crisis surrounded by a numerous amount of enemies, but my spiritual ears have heard the downfall of my enemies. That's what he says. My eyes have seen that they've been overthrown. But they're still right there. But I have seen that he triumphed over every enemy at the cross. I've seen it. I've heard it. But it's easy for us to make that a truth in theory than it is in practice. And so he tells us we're like this palm tree. And I don't have time to go into this. This is what we covered last week, but I got to just maybe catch you up for a minute because a palm tree is an interesting tree because a palm tree can flourish in any type of weather wet dry hot cold doesn't matter it's a durable tree it's able to adapt to anything that's what he's made us like able to adapt to anything see you're in a marriage and you think the only way for me to flourish is get out of that marriage but he can make it adapt If I'm not in a different job, I can't, if I'm not in a different church, if I'm not in a different this, if I'm not in a different that, if I don't get in a different house, if I don't have a different car, you can flourish in whatever because he's made you a palm tree. And a palm tree in a hurricane can actually blow over and touch the ground. And if you leave it alone, it'll straighten back up because it won't break, it'll just bend. That's what he's made us, the ability to bend, okay? Then he's made us to grow strong like a cedar. These cedar trees are immense. They're 130 feet tall, and they're strong, and they're solid, and they were used to, um, in construction of, of the temple and different things. But it takes them a long time to get there, about 100 years for that thing to grow 130 feet tall. So for those of us that want to become a a cedar tree overnight, it ain't going to happen. 
You know, we get saved and we think we're just going to be a a 130-foot cedar tree tomorrow. Now, I know there's this thing called grace, but there's also this thing called process. And God is leading you through your faithful obedience to him to grow into this strong, steady cedar. But if every time we face a difficult circumstance, we run away from it, we're not growing stronger. And so we're these little itty-bitty cedar trees. Not really good for much. But God has something more in plan in store and plan for us. He wants us to flourish. He wants us to bear fruit in our old age. So we looked at what it meant to be planted in the house of God. And we looked at these different scripture passages from the New Testament. We're not gonna cover them. We went to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, where it says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. We've all quoted that verse before. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. That's what we say. But if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, you, plural, are the temple of the Spirit. That doesn't mean, as individuals, we don't have the Holy Spirit living in us. But while Paul is teaching this Corinthian church, this dysfunctional Corinthian church, that's what they were. They had people who were, were, were sleeping with people they shouldn't have been sleeping with. They were in types of relationships they shouldn't have been in. They weren't waiting for each other. They weren't preferring each other. There were gifts of the Spirit operating like weird at times. And everybody was selfish. That's the Corinthian church. And Paul doesn't write them a letter and say, close the doors and sell everything. He tries to correct it piece by piece. Go through the book. It's just, man, it's just like he goes from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. And then he even confronts the people that says, you you think I'm strong when I'm away and you think I'm weak when I'm in person, but I'm strong with you when I'm away because when I come in person, I don't want to have to deal with that stuff. I want to be able to fellowship with you and enjoy camaraderie with you. I don't want to come to you and preach all this stuff to you and make you feel bad. and have. A, I want to get this taken care of now so that when I come, we can have a good time. That's what he says. And so he corrects all these things. And in the midst of all that, he says, you, plural, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Some people today think that, you know, being planted in the house of God or, or being in one local church, you know, is legalistic and it's not what we should do. I don't know how we can look at the New Testament and the connection and commitment that is modeled in the New Testament local church and think that we should not be a part of a local body of Christ today. And I think there's a reason why God calls us to be in that. I think the reason is, is God is a covenant God. All throughout the scripture, God enters into covenant with imperfect human beings. This perfect God makes covenants with imperfect humans. Adam and Eve in the garden, he makes a covenant. Noah, he makes a covenant. David, he makes a covenant. Abraham, he makes a covenant. With you and I, he's made a new covenant. And here's the thing, not a human being yet, all of us in this room included, have been able to live up to that covenant. But God has never broken one. He's never broken a covenant. And so he calls you and I to enter into covenant in this thing called church. Why? So we can be like him. And we can walk in covenant with imperfect people. Now, none of us is perfect, so it's you know, it breaks down a little bit. But we get to walk in covenant with other imperfect people and by doing it, we flourish, we grow. Here's the thing, when you get married, sometimes you get married with these rose-colored glasses and after a few years, you think your spouse changed. Mm -mm, Didn't happen. They were that same flawed person. But the more time you spend with another human being, the more aware of their flaws you become. They had those flaws from the beginning. You just weren't aware of them. And if we become aware of that person's flaws and we break covenant with them and we just think, well, if I just get married to someone else, it'll be better. And statistically, they say you divorce once, you're statistically more likely to do it again and again and again and again and again. Because here's the thing, there's not a perfect person out there. And you will not find them to marry. 
you just have to stay in covenant with them. And when you become more aware of that person's flaws, two things begin to happen. One, you get to learn what it is to lay down your life for another. And two, you get to learn to grow in mercy. If someone doesn't fail you, you don't get to give them mercy. If, if I don't let you down, you don't get to extend mercy to me. So I just let you all down on purpose all the time so you get to grow in mercy. No, we don't do that either. But here's the inevitable factor. Every single one of us is a human being. And every single one of us is going to fail one another. And God says, I want you to come into covenant with one another in a local body of believers so that you can learn to lay your lives down for each other and you can grow in mercy. You're going to become just like me. And so we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I want to read this one because it, um, we have to have it because I'm going to refer back to it. And I can't just say last week, last week. Paul says, the human body has many parts. But the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. The body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that doesn't make it any less a part of the body. If the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, well, how would it hear? If the whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts. God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange it would be if the body only had one part. So for you and I today, if, one, if we say, I'm not a part of a body, that doesn't make us any less a part of the body. God's design for us is still to be a part of a body. Amen. So let's keep going. Verse 20. There are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. So if any of us in this room today as a part of this body says to another part of this body, I don't need you, not maybe in a negative way, but says, you know what? I can grow in my faith all by myself. I have no need for you. That does not make it true. But I don't feel like I need anyone. That does not make it true because the word says, I need you and you need me. If for no other reason to teach me how to lay down my life and to grow in mercy. If I only hang around with people who are just like me, I'm not a body, I'm a room full of the same part. Doesn't that make sense? But in a church, all the hands kind of get together and we just make a hand club. And all the feet get together and we're a feet club. And we talk about why, you know, the hands aren't doing their job and the feet aren't doing their job. And the, and the Bible says, celebrate the differences and realize you're all a different, come together. Then look what he says. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the other parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body and each one of you is a part of it. Now, it's easy because in, in Corinthians, there was only one church. And it's difficult for us today because in Huron, there are many churches. And so we sometimes think, well, you know, we're all a part of this big body of Christ. And that's absolutely true. But I still think there's a call on our lives to be a part of a local body of Christ for these very reasons. And so last week, we talked about the first point, And we're going to hit on it briefly, but we're moving on. Hebrews 10 tells us to meet together. It tells us there is a habit of not coming to church. You can come to church and, and not be planted in the body of Christ. It's possible. But it is not possible to be planted in a body that you don't attend. If you don't come together with other believers. And there is a move in our day to come to church less and less. And the scripture says, as we see the return of Jesus coming, come together more and more. Did you, read, did you see the video I posted on Facebook this week of, the, of little Johnny and his soccer program? Because we have a, an epidemic in our society 
where now you can be involved in volleyball and basketball and soccer and all these athletic contests on Sunday. And, you know, we just run our kids from place to place. And that short video reminded us that we need to teach our kids there's something way more important than sports. And that doesn't mean if you miss a Sunday or two that you're going to go to hell. But if you think that you can get in the habit of not coming together with other believers and flourish, you're going against the grain of the word of God. You have to come together. And you have to come together more and more as you see the day approaching. Don't get in the habit. Because if we're getting in the habit of not coming together, the Lord is not the one leading us to that habit. So that was last week. If you want to listen to it, get the CD. Number two, connect. Although that was probably the same amount of time I took last week too. (laughs) Connect. It's not just a, we can't just come and be present. We have to connect with other believers. We have to be in relationship. And I I hear this all the time. You know, I just don't feel close to people. Okay, great. Here's what you do. Start acting your way into the feeling. See, we're waiting for this magical feeling. And I have had people start coming to this church that left another church and started coming here. Man, they tell me about how they feel. And it's not very long, sometimes maybe 10 years, and they're gone and they're in another church because they stopped feeling something. And as soon as they go to that new church, you know what they do? They feel at home there. See, I've been in church 40 years, okay? I am not trying to sound arrogant and like a know-it-all. I'm just saying I've seen a lot. And I, I will promise you of all the people in the room, I am just as flawed as any one of you, and probably even more so, because I'm a human being just like you. But it's time for us to maybe take the lid off this thing and expose it for what it is so we can walk in freedom. Because there's this understanding that, you know, if I just hop to a new church, I'll be able to put that behind me and, and just grow. But what I've seen from a childhood on, because I grew up in a church that was dysfunctional. And here, let me let you in on a little secret. I don't think there's a church anywhere that's not dysfunctional. Because we're just a bunch of different parts trying to come together. So there's bound to be some dysfunction. So I grew up in a church where it was modeled for me. I saw it. Um, dysfunction 101. And I watched people leave churches and I watched people get offended and I watched people fight over all kinds of stuff growing up as a child. I promise you, I engaged in it. Especially as a college student, I engaged in the dysfunction. And I have been on both sides of the aisle now and I have have had to walk through um, the feelings of guilt for what I had done wrong. And the Lord led me through a process and and it was a battle to, to forgive myself for some things that I had done. Um, it's still a battle today. Because you'd think on this side of the aisle, it would just be easy. You think as a pastor, when people walk out the doors of a church and they're fed up with you and you can see flaws in their lives, it would be easy to just go like this and be like good riddance. But it doesn't work that way. And I pray that it never works that way because if it ever works that way, then I've lost something. And so this idea that we have got to connect and the only way, you know, we wait for the feeling to do it. It's so foreign to the word of God. You don't wait to feel connected. You do connected stuff and then the feeling eventually shows up. Does that make sense? You're not getting married here. You know, when you get married, there has to be a connection to bring you together at the beginning. But think of this more like an arranged marriage. Because the Bible says God brought Easter to us here. Maybe you think you just wandered in off the streets one day and you're here by accident or by your own free will, but the scripture says God brought us together. He arranged this marriage. And so we can either live in the same house miserable until he lets us go our own ways or we can start getting connected. And if we wait for the feeling, it may never come. Go to a thousand prayer lines. Because here's the thing, the more we get to know each other, the more aware of each other's flaws we're about to become. The closer you get to me and the longer I stay here, you're going to think, man, Pastor Tom's more flawed than when he first came. Absolutely not. I'm still equally as flawed. I was flawed when you picked me all those years ago. I got the same flaws. You just see them better because we've spent more time together. Make sense? And let, let me remind you of something. <laughs> You're flawed too. 
I mean, I know that's hard for you to believe, but you're flawed. And if we don't extend mercy to each other, you know what the scripture says? We won't receive it. And that's dangerous. If we don't learn to give each other mercy, we will not receive mercy. That's the Bible, it says it. If you don't forgive your brother, if you don't offer mercy, you will not receive it from my father, Jesus says. That's a stern warning. We've gotta connect with other believers. You know, the Bible says that we, there we go, they were already up there. Matthew chapter five, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. That's what the law says. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And in this way, you will be acting like true children of your father in heaven. Don't let evil conquer you, Paul says in Romans 12, but conquer evil by doing good. That just builds on the fact that God brings us into this body to help us be like children of our father. He has been merciful to us. I know that each of us thinks that our flaws are lesser than someone else's flaws, but all of us are equally flawed. And no matter who it is, the worst sinner in the world that we could think of today is equally as flawed as you and I sitting in this room. We have all been given the same dose of mercy from the Father. And I know in our human eyes, we look at it and think, well, they have gotten more mercy because they had a bigger debt than me. But we all had the same debt. If you break one part of the law, you're guilty of all of the law. And in our eyes, you know, that person's a worse sinner because they've done more things wrong than me. But in the eyes of God, we're all sinners. We're all hopelessly lost. And so God has given us mercy. And when we learn to give each other mercy, you know what it, it, helps us deal, it helps us do? It helps us understand more the mercy God has given to us. And so we walk in this relationship with one another. But part of being connected to the body is signaling to the body that I'm in pain. See, the scripture we read from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, if, if one part of the body hurts, all parts hurt with it. How in the world can we hurt with you if you don't signal to the body that you hurt? Well, but I did that before and it, and it hurt me because nobody, nobody reacted the way I thought they should and so I, I won't do that again. You know what that is? That's not giving mercy. I know, I know it hurts because the pain of being rejected and the pain of not having people be there for you when you need them, it, it stings. I know that. But that doesn't mean we should be in our little cocoons and not offer mercy. And mercy in that moment means when I'm in pain, I'm signaling to the body I'm in pain. If my foot is in pain, it will signal the rest of my body there's pain. And the rest of my body will be affected by that. Now here's the thing, you don't have to go into great detail. You just have to say, pain, I'm in pain. You, you are under no obligation to share everything with everybody. And P.S., if someone says I'm in pain, that's enough. You don't have to try to dig and find out what's going on. You don't need to know. Just know that part's in pain and walk with it. Be in pain with it. Don't try to fix the pain. Just be in, the Bible doesn't say fix the pain. If one part of the body's in pain, the rest of the body come to the aid. No, it says hurt with it. That's all it tells us to do. Now, if you can do something, you know, do. But all we're under obligation to do is just be in pain with you. And somehow through that, the Lord brings healing. Isn't that amazing? But if we're not gonna be vulnerable enough to signal the body that I'm in pain because it didn't work out well last time or because I, you know, I'm a private person, I get it, we're all private people. None of us likes everybody to know our business because we're all embarrassed and we all have this reputation to hold up to. That's just more dysfunction. Let's pull the lid off that thing and just start signaling that we're in pain. <clears throat> Another part is to find our function. Connecting means finding your function. Each of us should use whatever gift we received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its varying forms. 
You know, the Bible says, even in old age, we will keep bearing fruit. We will stay fresh and green. For those of you that think maybe life has passed you by and you're too old to serve in the church now, the Bible says you can stay fresh and green. You can serve. You can bear fruit. There's never a time when you've been passed by. Start focusing on what you can do and not what you cannot do. Find where you can serve in this season of life and not where you used to serve. The Bible actually calls you to help steward and mentor the younger people in this body and help them to grow in their faith. Not maybe to point out that you don't like their clothes and you don't like their music and you don't like their their way of living, you don't like their parenting skills, you don't like anything about the culture today. Well, gee, I wonder if they're going to come and ask us for advice. We don't like anything about you and what you've done to our country, but... You know, if you need anything, call us. That makes sense? Sometimes we just need to offer mercy. Finding where we fit in the body and serving. Sometimes people think, well, I, feel, I just feel forgotten. I feel like, you know, at our age, we've just been put out to pasture. Here's the thing. Nobody wants to put you out to pasture. Could everyone right now in this room that thinks that everyone 60 and over is of no value, please stand up. There's not a soul that wants that. And what happens is you may feel that way, but we didn't mean to make you feel that way. But if you don't signal pain, we can't help you. but we gotta learn to signal pain in a good way. When my foot's in pain, it doesn't fly off and kick me in the head, okay? That's not a good way to signal pain. There's a proper way to signal pain, and we have to do it. And young people are the same. Sometimes we do. We think, well, you know, they're just old fuddy-duddies, and that's just the way things used to be, and they just need to get over it, and shame on us. The Bible says gray hair is a crown. We should honor those people. And we get behind them in traffic and we're, come on, grandma. That's not honor. I mean, Mark drives slow and he's not old. (laughs) He only looks old because gray hair is crown of splendor. Ephesians chapter 4 tells us God's put us together. He's given us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to equip us for works of service. So the body of Christ will be built up. We'll come to unity in the faith, in the knowledge of the Son of God. We'll become mature. We'll attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. No longer be infants, tossed back and forth. Uh, by waves blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. See why he's planted us in a body? So that we grow together, so we get to know one another, so there's a safety net. Now, this doesn't just happen. You know, you can come and sit in a pew every week, and that doesn't guarantee that you're going to be kept from every wind of doctrine. you got to be planted. And it's more than just coming. It's being connected. And if we're not connected, this isn't going to happen. If we're not offering one another mercy, if we're not helping one another grow, if we're not being honest with one another in a, in a good way, this isn't going to happen. We're not going to be healthy and growing and full of love. And look at it says, from him, the whole body from Christ is held together by every supporting ligament. Some of us don't know the, all the ligaments in our body, but if one of them stopped functioning, you would become very aware. And we look at someone in the body that may be just a ligament and we think they're not that important until that ligament no longer functions. And then we recognize, oh yeah, that was a big part. And so ligaments, you need to be merciful and the rest of the body, we need to be merciful. See how that ties together? He says, we grow and we build ourselves up in love as each part does its work. See, it's not enough to just know our function. We actually have to function in our function. Does that make sense? If I lose an eyeball and I don't have an eyeball, you know, I could wear a patch. I could get a glass eye and put a glass eye in and I would look better. 
I mean, it, it would obviously look better to walk around with a glass eye than just an open socket. That would, people would be, they would be turned off. I mean, it would, I would look better. But that eye doesn't help me function, does it? And some of us like to be glass eyes in the body of Christ. I just sign up for a position, but I don't really function in that position. I just, you know, I'm there and I look pretty. And so I make the body look good, but the body doesn't function unless you actually function in your function. Does that make sense? And it just, it, it goes beyond just church ministries. It's not just the ministries of the church. It's functioning in your gifting, in your calling. You like to visit people? Visit people. Well, we don't have a visitation program. So what? Go through the directory and go to somebody's house. Hey, Pastor Tom, how is so-and-so doing? I don't know. Call them. Their number's not unlisted. Ask them how they're doing. They would love to hear from you. Don't ask us how someone's doing. Go find out how someone's doing. Function in the body of Christ. If you're not doing good, I love this one. Pastor, so-and-so isn't doing good. Pick up your phone and say, hey, pastor, I'm not doing good. Text me, call me, Skype me, Snapchat me. There's so many ways to connect today. Just get out there and say, hey, I'm not doing well. But Pastor Tom, I tried that last time and you you, you let me down. I know. You're probably right. Absolutely, I did. I'm sorry. I never meant to let you down. I didn't sit in my office and get your message and go... (laughs) Yeah, whatever. I didn't do that. I didn't mean it. Can I get mercy? And then I'll give it back to you when you need it. Because I promise you, I haven't been very merciful either. I'm learning that one too. But this is what the body of Christ is. This is how we connect. The last one, we commit. We commit. The word commit means different things to different people. So let me tell you what I feel like it means and we'll see where we land. I love the fact that in the body of Christ, we find our, how we've, we fit in the body. You know, we, know, we learn our giftings and especially in Pentecostal circles, we say things like, well, I don't feel like the Lord is leading me to do that thing over there. And, th- and that can, that's true. Okay, that can be true, but that can also be a cop-out. Here's what I, I know about the human body, that our human bodies, if one of our parts don't function right, our human bodies are so, so amazing, they can actually compensate for missing parts. You know, our bodies can actually learn to function when a part is missing. And so even if that's not what the, the role you were designed to fill, that part of the body can actually function in a way where it actually fills that role. Let me explain it this way. You get married and you realize that neither you or your spouse can cook at all, at all. You're terrible. So what do you do? Not, just not eat? I mean, none of your, your gifts aren't cooking, so you don't eat. I mean, you, you just hire a chef. You go out to eat all the time. No, you just, you pick up that role. How many of you, your gift is cleaning? Nobody? My gift is cleaning. Oh, yeah, a couple of us. Praise the Lord. Did you raise his hand? (laughs) But here's the thing. When you get married and neither one of you, your gift is cleaning the bathroom, I hope that in 20 years you have cleaned the bathroom or at least hired someone. What do you do? You just do it because you've been called into, you're in a family. Now, I know you chose that marriage, but here's the thing. This is an arranged marriage. And so I know your gift may not be cleaning a toilet, but sometimes if there's a toilet to be cleaned, you could do it. Look at what James chapter two says. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Look what 1 John says. We know real love because Jesus gave up his life for us, so we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well, sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say we love each other, let's show it by our actions. So if I see a need and I have the means and I have, or I have the money or I have the know-how to meet that need and I don't meet that need, okay, l- listen to what I said again. I have the money 
I have the time and I have the know-how. Because some people sign up for like a kajillion things and you don't have the time. But some of you right now are feeling guilty about that toilet thing and so you're gonna come to me after church and say, I'll clean the toilets. Okay, if you don't, if you don't seriously have the time, but take a step back for a minute. Do you have the time? Could everyone who's not busy please stand up? You don't, your life isn't busy, you're relaxed, you, you're carefree, you've got so much time on your hands, you don't know what to do. Praise God. You come see me after church, brother. Go ahead and sit down. Our world is full of busy people. And all of us think we don't have time. But here's the thing, sometimes that's not true. Sometimes we could make time we choose not to because we don't see ourselves in a family responsibility. I guarantee you, if your bathroom hadn't been cleaned in two months, well, I hope if your bathroom hadn't been cleaned in two months, you'd make time to at least spruce it up a bit. Right? You'd make time. And that's part of a commitment to a body. See, I don't want you to join a body and have the rose-colored glasses. Hey, join our church. We just want you to show up on Sunday. We don't, no expectations. No, there's expectations. You're in a family now. And sometimes you have to cook, and sometimes you have to clean, and sometimes you have to be nice. All the time you have to be nice. You've got to serve. You've got to be a fully functioning part of the body. And sometimes it's maybe in a place where you don't feel gifted or feel led because our feelings can lead us astray. What if I didn't feel like preaching today? Should I not preach? That's different, Pastor. We pay you. Oh. So the work we do for the kingdom that's paid is more important than the work that's not. Then we have a problem. And if I only do this because I'm paid, Lord, help us. I'd find something else to do. (laughs) Another part of this, and the last part of this, not only do we maybe have to serve and take responsibility in this area of commitment, we just have to stay put. Stay put. If you uproot a plant and move it every other week, that plant will die. These are scriptures that I alluded to earlier from Ephesians chapter four and Colossians chapter three about making allowance for each other's faults and being humble and being gentle. And here's the thing, I told you I've been in the church a lot of years, 40 years. Some of you have been in church longer, but I've been in church 40 years. The first few were a bit hazy, but from then on, I I remember it well. And I've watched people leave church. And here's what I know about people who leave a church. They're flawed. And here's what I know about people who stay behind. They're flawed. And here's what I know about people who leave a church. They think they're right. And here's what I know about people who stay behind. They think they're right. And if we had Jesus standing right here in front of us and we said, who's right? What do you think he'd say? He'd probably say, well, who do you think is right? Because you can be right and wrong at the same time. Just stay put. Is there ever a time to leave a church? Absolutely. I mean, if a church is completely dysfunctional and people are in sin all over the place and they're not repenting, by all means, get out of it. But if a church is so dysfunctional that you should not get connected or committed to it, you shouldn't even attend it. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, why would you sit there and and attend a service where the church is so dysfunctional that, I mean, you're just poisoning yourself. In fact, the Bible says you're poisoning yourself. But let me warn you, before you stop attending this one, the next one you attend will be as dysfunctional as this one. It may take you 10 or 15 years to notice, (laughs) but it will be, I promise you. I've tested this theory. See, I asked someone who to me is like the nicest person in the world 
who's a pastor, way better pastor than me. I mean, just pastor like oozes from him and his wife. If I said his name, you'd know. And I've asked him before if people have left his church when he was a pastor. And he just always said, yeah. And in, in some, it's not like I was celebrating like, yes, 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 yes. But it gives you hope. Because I think, you know, if that perfect guy has people that get disgruntled with him, then what hope do I have? <laughs> I mean, that sounds hopeless, but it, it gives us hope. See, here's the thing. When people leave and people stay, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. And I've watched it for 40 years. And you think at some point I would just become cynical. And I'll tell you, there are times I've been tempted to become cynical, but I won't because I believe the body of Christ is important. And I believe God calls us to be planted in a body of Christ so that we can grow together. And he tells us how to grow together. In James chapter one, or James chapter four, look at what he says. Your fights, all of our fights can come down to one thing, selfishness. Selfish ambition. I don't know if every single church fight ever can come down to that, but I bet a whole high percentage of them can. And I bet that not just one party involved was selfish. Now the Bible does say, live at peace with everyone as much as it depends on you. You can't possibly live in peace with everyone. It's not gonna happen. And so at some point, even the scripture tells us, you just have to cut it off. Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says, if another believer sins against you, go to them. Go to them. You know how many times I've, I've said this to someone, why didn't you go to the person? Why didn't you come to me? Why didn't you go to the per? Well, I, I just couldn't do that. You, did you ever find it interesting that we can talk to a hundred different people about a problem we have with so-and-so, but we can't go to so-and-so? Let me tell you something. He's made you as strong as an ox. So you may not like going to so-and-so and and you may not feel like going to so-and-so, but you can go to so-and-so. Please don't be an ox when you go to so-and-so and gore them, but go and try to work it out. The scripture says if you come to the altar and you realize at the altar you have something, your brother has something against you, you didn't even do it, they have it against you, go and make it right before you even offer your gift. This is important stuff. And if that doesn't work out, You two, go to someone else who can help you work it out. And if that doesn't work, go to the church. And the interesting thing is, is the church hasn't even been invented yet, and Jesus says, go to the church. So we really don't know what that means, and it would take me a whole service to peel the layers off of that onion. Because here's the thing. If if you have a disagreement with someone, I'm not saying that on a Sunday morning, you and I are gonna be up here with like six other people and we're all gonna share our versions of the story and then the church is gonna vote. And I don't think that's even close to what Jesus was talking about in that situation. But that's beside the point. The point Jesus is making is take some steps to try to reconcile with your brother. And the first step is to go to your brother or go to your sister. Being planted in the house of God looks like this. It means come, it means connect, and it means commit. And here's the thing, it's not pretty. And it's not easy. I don't know if you thought you were gonna become a believer and you were gonna get together with other Christians and every day was gonna be like Cinderella and uh, the birds were gonna sing as you opened your window in the morning and come in. No, it's more like the ugly stepsisters. It is, it, it's, a, it's not that we're ugly people, it's just we, we're flawed people. But God in his mercy brings us together so we can work out our stuff. Come, connect, commit, learn to flourish, learn to be like that palm tree, learn to stay fresh and green and bear fruit in your old age. And here's the thing, you can sit in a pew for 50 years and not be planted in the house of God. I've watched people sit in a pew a long time, even as a child. I I can see people in my mind even as I think about it who kept coming to our church as a kid growing up 
And everybody knew they were offended. Everybody knew they were upset. And sometimes I sit and think, why didn't someone go to them? And maybe someone did. I was just a kid. What do I know? I just watched a lot of ugly. And the last thing I hope for you is a lot of ugly. The last thing I want is to grow up and be a bitter old man. But it takes a whole lot of honesty and gentleness and humility and patience and mercy to bring this together. But I think if we do, we're going to tap into something that the world has never seen, at least our world has never seen. Because the Bible days, the world has seen it. I mean, they were dysfunctional. I mean, I love this. We, we put the Acts 2 model of the church up and we're like, let's just be like the Acts 2 church. And they, we're, we're close. We're just as dysfunctional as they were. The problem is we're not coming, connected, and committed like they were. And that's what we need. And when we do that, we might experience the type of worldwide revival that they saw. And not little pockets here and there. Then we don't have to jump on a plane and go to that revival over there. We can just experience it in this town, in the next town, in the next town, in the next town. So let's try it and see how contagious it gets. Let's stand together. <clears throat> Today was kind of a, it's one of those interesting days. And for some of you, maybe I ripped some scabs off. Um, I didn't intend to. I probably ripped some of my own scabs off preparing for a sermon like this. But my goal, and I, I hope it's your goal, is to see a church in Huron, South Dakota that's flourishing. Where people are bearing fruit even in their old age and growing strong and flourishing like palm trees and growing strong like cedars. That's my vision, that's my goal, that's my hope. And I don't want you to have the illusion that that's just gonna happen because we pray and magically, poof, God just changes all of us and everything's perfect. No, there's just, there's gotta be some working that out. You know, sometimes we think we have an encounter with God and from that day forward, everything's going to be easy. But I love Mark's testimony last week when he said, you know, I didn't even want to come to church today. And you know, Mark's had an encounter with God. It looks like it. His life has been changed forever, but yet he still had to wrestle to put this into practice. And he's got to wrestle to connect and he's got to wrestle to commit just like me and just like you. And so this isn't just going to happen magically because I say this prayer for you today. It's gonna happen as we just, day after day, put this into practice. And when we feel like running, we run in the opposite direction. We run towards each other and not away. And so Father, thank you for this template. Thank you for showing us what it takes for us to plant ourselves in the body of Christ. And now Holy Spirit, we recognize there's no way that any of us in this room is able to do these things but you have come to live in us and you've come to empower us to do these things. And there are gonna be times when we don't feel like coming and we're gonna need your help to come and to get in the habit of coming, but we're not gonna feel like it. We're gonna feel like running away. We're gonna feel uh, like we're too busy. We're gonna feel like we've been hurt too many times. We're gonna feel a lot of different things and we're gonna need your help to be able to do what's right and not just act on our feelings. Help us to be connected with one another. Help us not to let our feelings that, that so-and-so doesn't really like us or that so-and-so is against us or so-and-so is this and that. Help us to fight through those things and to start making connections. Help us to stop waiting for someone else to connect to us. Help us to take the step to connect to one another, to find how you have fitted us and formed us in this body. God, to serve as a functioning part of this body. Help us to build those relationships with one another and to offer one another mercy and grace and to humbly and gently walk through this. God, above all, may we be committed, not just to you, but committed to one another. God, it's easy for us to love you, but you said that we need to love our neighbor just as we love ourselves. So help us to live out this commitment, God, to the family, to the body of Christ that you have planted us in. And help us to fight the urge to be selfish 
Help us to fight the urge to run away from each other. And God, I just ask for your grace to be able to do this well. I pray that this church, God, would be a role model in this community, not for my sake, not for the sake of anyone in this room, not for the sake of the assemblies of God, but God, for the sake of those that are lost in this community, may this body be a role model to other churches in this community of what it is to walk in unity and what it is to walk in love, even through disagreements and even through difficulties and even through changing seasons. God, help us to model it so that others will know that you are in us because of the love that we have for one another. Help us to walk it out from each, each day of our lives from this day forward. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, thank you for your patience today as we walk through this. Again, for mothers, uh, we wanna encourage you to take two of the flowers from here or from in the back uh, before you leave today. A happy Mother's Day to you as well. And uh, God bless you as you go. If you haven't been prayed for yet, and you want to be prayed for, um, myself and Pastor John, some of our prayer team will stay for a few moments. If you want to be prayed for, uh, please find one of us before you go this morning. God bless you as you go. Peace.